Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Hello and welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. I'm Michelle Beck. I'm a 10-year, two-time survivor of breast cancer. I'm the patient program's assistant. And when I have time, which is not very often, you can find me on social media at I Never Liked Pink. So today I'm super excited because a fabulous guest who I found on Instagram because the breast cancer community is strong there. And her name is Christine Handy. She is an international print and runway model, national best-selling author of a book called Walk Beside Me, which is a fictional depiction of her life. She has another book in the works. She is a keynote speaker, which came after her book in 2016. She serves on the board of two nonprofit organizations, eBeauty and People of Purpose. She's a mentor, a breast cancer advocate, a public figure, an influencer, a nationally recognized humanitarian, and honestly, what I think is most important, a mother, because wow, Mm -hmm. that is one of the hardest jobs out there. She completed, okay, this blew me away, a master's degree at Harvard in literature and creative writing to help combat her chemo brain. I mean, props to you, Christine. And her second novel, or I'm sorry, her first novel is currently being in the works to become a feature film called Willow. So we're going to be in the lookout for that. And she is here today to talk about purpose, finding purpose in pain, because cancer is traumatic and it's painful, but she has done so much with it afterwards that we're going to explore all that today. So Christine, welcome. Mm, thank you so much. Thank you for that lovely introduction. I, I will add that I have no personal life, which is the only reason I <laughs> do all of those things. <laughs> I feel you. I just hung up with a patient call and she's like, you're so inspirational and you're so positive and you've been through this twice. How do you do it? I was like, I don't know. I just do like this. Is, we just do. We get to we're something we're so passionate about and right. you have so many wonderful things going on in your life that you just work hard because it's important. And which is why I, when I saw your profile, I was like, I have to talk to this amazing human being. So how it all started for you, you are a model by career. So tell us about that a little bit and how you got into it. Well, uh, from a young age, very young age, I, a lot of people were drawn to my external value. I was very pretty young girl. And so I had three other sisters and there wasn't a whole lot of time to ask for any sort of extra attention or time from my parents. But it, uh, you know, starting at a young age, I, I was just put into a position where modeling agencies and pageantry positions were opening up for me. And so by the age of 11, I said to my family, I said, I really, really like to pursue modeling. And, it, you know, it wasn't easy for them because, like I said, they had three other daughters at home, which I think makes it even more complicated. But they were willing to give it a shot as long as I was responsible in school and got all of my work done, which, of course, I I did. I was an overachiever already at age 11. And still are, yes. (laughs) Yes. And that kind of set the tone for a, well, now 40-year modeling career. So I'm glad that they gave me the time and energy to, to, to get that done. And obviously, you've been featured internationally, print and runways all over the world. You just got home from Fashion Week in New York. And presumably your life was going pretty well. And then you heard those words that we don't ever want to hear. You have cancer. Can you tell us about that? 
Um, yeah, that was pretty, uh, that was alarming for many reasons. One, I have no family history of breast cancer. And two, I didn't know much about the disease because I was 41. And the only person I knew that had had breast cancer was my mother's best friend who died of it three years before. Mm-hmm. And I had just also come off a year of an arm issue, which was a really sad story. I don't, we'll get into it at some point, but it was a, it was, it was a doctor malpractice issue. And, and ultimately my arm was fused. And after my arm was fused, I was up in a hotel in New York city seeing my new arm surgeon. And I had a cast on from my fingertips to my shoulder. And I felt a lump when I was trying to wash my breasts in the shower. And five days later I was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer. And so I was already depleted. I was already trying to figure out how I was going to live a life and be a mother and a wife and uh, an athlete, a self-proclaimed athlete with a fused right arm. You know, it, it had cadaver bones in it and cadaver grass. And so I was just kind of grappling that. And to add an aggressive form of breast cancer onto that was extraordinary pain. And I really wasn't sure that I was up for the challenge. And so the moments the early moments and the early days of that diagnosis, I really did want to give up. Well, and you do because you just get so beaten down and it's like yeah. one thing after another. And, but at that point, and really, I know just personally, I didn't have any prior injuries going into this and my head exploded. And, yes. you know, I, and because you just, you can't process like, like Katie Kirk had just recently said, why not me? But at that time, you're always thinking, why me? Why did this happen yeah. to me? And it's really hard not to go into a downward, downward spiral. How did you get out of that? Well, I did go into a downward spiral for about the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. And my it's an interesting story. And I do, I do believe through storytelling, we can impact more people. Um, I, I think, for example, when people say, oh, it's one out of eight women, I don't think people pay attention too much to that. But that it's one person that's a human being. Mm-hmm. So I think through storytelling, it helps make it more personal. But my son was in boarding school at the time. And I actually thought that was a good thing because he was away from home and didn't have to kind of see all the trauma with my arm. And all of a sudden I was diagnosed with breast cancer and he was in boarding school, like I said, and my, my ex-husband was going up there to tell him what was wrong with me. And I couldn't tell him face to face. And the first weekend he was supposed to come home, he got in trouble at school. But at that point, the first two, three weeks, I was not going to do chemotherapy. I was just going to quit. And the second week he was supposed to come home, he got delayed as well because of school issues. By the time he came back the third weekend, that was going to be my opportunity to say goodbye to him. Mm. But instead of saying goodbye to him, I was saying hello and I'm going to fight because in the meantime, my friends, who I call my angels, had come to me every single day and said, no, you have to fight for this. There will be purpose in this pain. There will be your story will matter to people who are now next generation going through it. And so by the time my son came home, I was all in and I was willing to fight for my life. And, and so had he not been delayed, then I don't know if I, they would have had the time to convince me that my life was worth fighting for. And I think I would have totally taken a different direction. And so there's so much power in different people's different stories and you know that i think that was a there was a reason that happened my son getting delayed there was a reason that happened and part of it is because i'm here today hopefully impacting a lot of lives 
but once I, once I really got over the hump of feeling that despair and, and that victim mentality, I, I turned it around and said, okay, not really. Why not me? That's, that's a tough one, but what can I do to help other people with the pain that I'm going through? How can I serve them? How can I give them hope? And one thing that I started to practice very early on was I stopped meditating on the outcome. I had no idea if I was going to live or die. But when you're focused on that, if you're solely focused on that, then it's constant fear. And I didn't want to live in a fear-based brain. And I didn't want to show that to my children and to my family. And so I stopped thinking about the end. And I just thought, if I can show courage every single day during treatment, then that kind of wave effect will manifest in my life. It will manifest in my community and most importantly, in my family and my friends. And so that's what I ended up doing. And there were many nights where I wasn't sure I was going to wake up the next morning, but I didn't focus on that. I focused on hope. I focused on faith and I focused on the courage that I could show other people, including myself. 100% attitude. I tell people all the time is so important because your body recognizes fear and stress and giving up and then it just can take over. So knowing that you are stronger than the different things that are going on and it's it's so very important. Now you mentioned that you did not have any family history. Have you done genetic testing? Do you have any kind of markers at all? I have done genetic testing. Yeah. And I don't have any of the genes. Yes. So it just is what it is. And yeah, yeah, and less than 10% of of women do actually have family history. So it's Mm. we always it's something we always ask at first because you think it's so common that oh it must have come down through your family. That's not always the case. Yes. and I know you've, because uh, you mentioned I've, I've stalked you on Instagram since I found you, that you've had a lot of surgeries. How many have you had dealing with your cancer diagnosis? Well, I've had nine on my arm, and those were major surgeries. One, an arm fusion, which they very rarely do. And then subsequently, um, they had a cadaver bones put in and Achilles tendon put in. And so nine out of 24, the rest were breast surgeries. But I also had complications for, for example, an example of that would be a MRSA infection in my implant. So I chose to have implants. Mm-hmm. I actually, I don't know if that's the right way to say it. When I was diagnosed with breast cancer and I knew I had to have mastectomies, what was taught and what was showed in front of me were implants. Nobody said you can have this aesthetic flat closure. I, I didn't know that existed. I'd never heard that in my entire life until... I had a MRSA infection in my chest in 2020, but I'm not saying I would have chosen the aesthetic flat closure. I just would have been, I would have loved the opportunity to make that decision. And so I did have implants after my mastectomy. So that, and then I had, I think three or four reconstruction after that. And then I had complications to the implants. I had, uh, you know, port, I I had a lot of, you know, I had pick lines. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of surgeries, which because of complications. Now, because I understand the not being presented with really options when you were first diagnosed and treated, I mean, back when they really started breast cancer surgery, it literally was a mastectomy and that was it. And then Mm. they, you know, moved forward with lumpectomies and then, you know, they came up with the idea of reconstruction and God bless our patriarchy there. The generally male doctors at the time could not appreciate that a woman might not want to have breasts anymore for a variety of reasons. It's a very personal choice. And so, like you said, 10 years ago, that wasn't even talked about. It wasn't, right. it wasn't a, a, 
a choice that you were given. It's like, okay, you're going to have a mastectomy. Let's go meet your plastic surgeon so they can figure out what you're going to do. And it's such a personal decision. I recently interviewed a woman named Kat Van Dam, and she wrote a book called Flat and Happy, which Mm -hmm. is someone who is like you and I had talked previously, and it was not your choice to be flat. You had obviously started with the reconstruction and then through the complications and through the MRSA, that's now where you ended up. And it's finding the grace to take what life and this horrible disease has given you, but take it and move forward into something. What you have done is so powerful. How, why did you decide to share your story? Well, I have no problem, by the way, being flat or concave or whatever you want to call it. I, you know, it was kind of a shock in the beginning because I had had implants for six or seven years and I got used to that. And the options that I was given were implants or to use my own tissue, but I was super thin after chemotherapy, like 90 some odd pounds. And so I didn't have the opportunity to do that surgery. Plus it was like 11 or 12 hours. It was a major, much Ma- more major surgery, surgery, huge recovery time for the deep flap. And at the yeah. time, believe it or not, I was, they gave me that option or I didn't have enough for in my stomach for at that time. I was like, really? Now you can do it over and over again. <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> well, it, it's a complicated surgery, but yes. anyway, um, that I guess would have been an option had I waited. Regardless, I I don't mind being flat, but what I do mind is that what I what it's not that I mind what I my, what my heart heart aches for are the women who are flat and feel ashamed or feel different and feel less worthy. That that upsets me because I know that our self-esteem is not dependent on the external. It's not dependent on whether we have breasts or not. It's not dependent on whether we have implants. It's dependent on how we feel about ourselves. Anything that we say after I am, we become. So I say every day, I am worthy. I am loved. I am beautiful. I am whole. And so I like to talk to people about that because I think it's, it's one, it's a mindset. It's a reaction. It's how you react. And, and so I chose to go back to modeling with a flat chest. I, go, I chose to do New York Fashion Week. I chose to do Miami Swim Week, which, by the way, was very difficult, right? I'm 52 years old and, well, I was 51 at the time. And, you know, modeling in a swimsuit with 17 and 18-year-olds was not easy. And I was not always a runway model. I was always a print model. And so to learn how to do the runway was on me. And I had to, I, I had to really get good at it. And I practice every single day for a month before each show. And I wear my high heels every day, even to the grocery store, even to the gym, because I want to make sure that my legs and my calves and my feet are prepared for it. And so I take it very seriously because I think that women need to see somebody with a concave chest on in New York Fashion Week or Paris Fashion Week or Miami Swim Week. It looks different, right? But that doesn't mean it, does, it, looks, it doesn't look beautiful. It looks beautiful. And so I'm, that's what I'm trying to show. And again, I think it goes back to the courage. If I can show courage and show up like that with this, then I think that's that leads people to show up for courage for themselves. And that's the goal. I love that. That's so beautiful. And you are obviously doing a fabulous job. And we're going to talk so much more about it after we get back from break. So listeners, please stay with us. You can find out more information on our website, breastfriends.org. Check out patient programs. 
And if you would like to help Breast Friends on its mission to ensure that no one goes through cancer alone, you can donate on our website or by texting BF Radio to 41444. Stay with us. We'll be back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. When looking to heal relationships, each partner has to take responsibility for how they may escalate a negative interaction. When our childhood trauma is triggered, Our instinct is to protect ourselves and react defensively. If we learn to recognize these triggers, we can begin to hear our partner's side and facilitate a connection. Ask Arlo host, Arlene Majorano, connects with guests and her listeners to find a common ground. The first step in promoting the healing power of relationships. Listen on Voice America Health & Wellness. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. I'm Michelle Beck. My guest is Christine Handy breast cancer advocate, international model, author, speaker, and so much more. And we are talking about how she found purpose through her pain of breast cancer and so much more. So Christine, before we tar- before break, we were talking about why you decided to share your story and helping others show that you are full of courage and you're brave and because you're going out there flat and exposed. Now, how have you been using what you are going through or what you have gone through what is your your main purpose in that to to share? Well, each different obstacle I have taken and said, okay, I can do this with it. So for example, after chemotherapy, I wrote a book called Walk Beside Me. And the book is a fictional depiction of my life. And the reason I wrote the book was because when I was going through chemotherapy, I had a lot of friends who gave me self-help books and she gave me some uh, faith-based books and those were beautiful and I loved them and very helpful 
but I couldn't find a book about the good, the bad, and the ugly on breast cancer. And so there was a space for it and need for it. And so I thought I could fill it. So I wrote the book. So that became uh, a reaction to the breast cancer diagnosis and and the chemotherapy. Once I finished the book um, and I started to have a voice, I knew that I could amplify my voice if I was a speaker. And because I was in front of the camera as a model for most of my life, I was very good in front of the camera. And so I decided to add speaking to that just to have a bigger platform. You know, I will do the same thing every day and help as many as women as I can. But if you have a bigger platform you're, and I'm going to do the same thing, then you reach more people. And so then I was approached to have a film made from my book. And then um, I got into contract with a, a producer and a film director and a screenplay writer. And then that became another outlet, right, to help other people. And then when I had the MRSA infection, I became, uh, well, really when, yeah, when my breasts were excavated for the fourth, fifth, sixth time after the MRSA infection, then after a few months of trying to digest that, I decided I was going to go back and use my modeling platform. Because if I could showcase walking down the runway in, you know, with a flat chest, then that would help a whole different demographic of people. And then after that, I decided that I was going to use the modeling in a bigger space and, and reach out to bigger brands. And so my, I have a manager and I work for five speaking agencies. So I have, I have a lot of people that are helping me do what I'm trying to do. And so I've just tried to take every setback or every obstacle and try to use the platforms that I have built to ensure that I'm showing hope to other women. And that's kind of how sequentially that's how I did it. And those were kind of the reasons behind it. And since also my chest has been concave, I've also partnered with two different clothing designers to fill a space that's so necessary because I live in Miami, Florida. I wear bathing suits all the time. And there's there, it's difficult to find a bathing suit for flat or concave chest. So I've partnered with two different designers and we are manufacturing bathing suits to help with women who have no chest. That is fabulous. Now, how did the modeling community respond to you coming back at 51 concave and saying, I'm going to rock this? Because I can't imagine that everybody was like, great, get on out here. How did that go? Well, that's a very good question. It's a great answer. Um, I did call my modeling agency right at I was 50. And I called her and said, hey, I'd like to come back. It, It was also in the middle of COVID. Sure. So there wasn't a whole lot of runway modeling going on, but I knew that September New York Fashion Week was coming back this particular sept- last September. Mm-hmm. And so I called her and said, hey, I'd like to come back to work. And she was like, oh, great. You know, I'll send some clients your way. And I was like, yeah, I think you should probably take a look at me and I should come in and meet you. And she goes, OK, well, I'm not sure what you're talking about, but all right. So I went in to meet with her and she said, well, I'm not so sure. Let's just let's talk about it. And I said, no, nah, I'm not going to talk about it. I really want to, I need to do this for these people. And so I flew up to New York in September for New York Fashion Week. I was not invited. All I had a lot of friends in New York who were um, going to these shows and some modeling in them because I have friends that are models and some were just having lunches and taking Ubers around town and having a great time because New York Fashion Week is a blast. Mm-hmm. I was on the subway 12 hours a day going back and forth to shows all over the city. And I was, again, not invited. I would stand in line. And when they had no shows, they let me in the show. And after the show, I would walk up to the designers and I would, even though they had paparazzi around them and they were not interested in this person walking up to them, 
but I would find my way in front of them gracefully and gently. And I would say, my name is Christine Handy. I've been a model for 40 years. I'm trying to represent the breast cancer community. I have a flat chest. Can we talk about, you know, me modeling in New York Fashion Week? Ultimately, my, my drive paid off because five designers hired me for February nice. New York Fashion Week, the following, you know, the next show. Mm-hmm. And my, my manager was like, I can't believe you did that. And my modeling agency was like, I can't believe you did that. And I said, well, I, it's hard for me to take no as an answer. And so I'm just going to do it myself. It was basically so, when they when your your manager told you no, you're like, hold my beer. Like, I've got this. <laughs> I've got this. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and, and if, listen, if you decide that you're going to do, if for, for me, I can only speak for myself. If I decide that I'm going to do something, I'm going to finish the process. I'm going to complete it somehow. Now, if it ultimately is a no, it's a no. I know that I've like exhausted the whole process. And if that meant me flying up to New York and pushing my way into shows, so be it. And again, if they had said no, I would have been fine with it. At least I knew that I'd done my best and done, I used every resource I could. Fortunately, they were listening and, and, and culture's changing, right? Yes. It's becoming more inclusive. And so to showcase a 50-year-old woman with a flat chest wasn't totally out of the question. When 10 years ago, it probably would have been. So it was kind of the right time in the right place. And I had enough bravery to ask for it. How was it in February to take those first steps out on a runway, knowing that you were purposely out there showcasing a new type of beauty or not new, something that had not been personified before on a runway? Well, a couple of things happened right before New York Fashion Week in February. One, Fashion Magazine is a is the... I, I guess it's the most exclusive magazine on New York Fashion Week, Paris Fashion Week, Milan Fashion Week, all of them. And they, and an article came out about me saying, Christine Handy, the one to watch in New York. And nice. so I had all that pressure. All the eyes on you. <laughs> I was like, whoa, as if it wasn't enough pressure. I, um, you know, it kind of fueled me. I said, okay, I'm going to kick this into high gear and make sure I do a really good job. And you know, I was, I don't typically get nervous in general, but I was a little bit nervous the first show, but by the second show, I was prancing around doing a great job and I was very proud of myself. Now, after that, I did Miami swim week in a bathing suit and I was a bit nervous as well. And then by this September, New York fashion week, I was like an old pro. (laughs) I love it. And you recently accepted an award and I want you to tell me what the award was for as well in this beautiful flowing skirt. Mm -hmm. I believe you were down in Miami because it looked gorgeous Mm -hmm. and there's tropical trees in the background, but in your flowing skirt and an ace bandage as your top, as like a bandeau top. I mean, that (laughs) takes, that takes some serious balls. And I I say that with much respect. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I, my hairdresser was over and he was doing my hair for the event. I, first of all, I won the Wonder Woman Initiative Award in Miami. And which, you know, obviously that's, I, I, it's lovely and beautiful. I, I don't do this for any accolades from society. I do it because I want to give people hope. And so I decided that I was going to use that opportunity. I guess you, there's a theme here, always using things as an opportunity I wanted to use that as an opportunity to say, okay, this is truly your, my self-worth comes from my inside, my faith, my, my measure is not from this world or accolades from this world. And so my, my hairdresser's over, he's doing my hair for the event and I have this beautiful outfit and I'm, we're walking out the door 
And I say to him, you know what? This isn't going to impact as many people. So I ran inside. I grabbed an ace bandage out of my, uh, my under my medicine cabinet. And I grabbed the skirt that I had and that I used to wear a different top with. And I, I put it in my bag. And he said, what are you doing? And I mm-hmm. said, you'll see. So I get to the award show and I'm in hair and makeup and, you know, their whole old thing, their whole people are doing hair and makeup. And so they said, okay, it's ready to get, you're ready to get dressed. And I said, well, I, I'd like to kind of do it. I'd ca- like to come out without anybody seeing. So I come out in literally an ace bandage that I tied around my chest and this skirt where you see my whole, I mean, I'm, you can see my whole chest with the ace bandage and it, it, it was powerful. Like it made a bigger statement than me just wearing a pretty dress. And what statement were you, were you really like, what was on your mind? What did you want to really have people focus on? I was beautiful. I was beautiful regardless of what was on my chest. I was beautiful in an ace bandage. I was beautiful in a dress. It didn't matter that my chest is all scarred up because my beauty comes from within. That's what I wanted to show. I love that. Well, you definitely did that. And so on social media, I found posts, you call yourself the cancer disruptor. Let's talk about that. What and why? Well, I don't think I actually coined that. I think there was an article written about me that called me okay. the cancer disruptor and the beauty disruptor. One, okay. I'm a beauty disruptor because I'm modeling at 52 on New York runway, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and with a flat chest. And the cancer disruptor, I, I, if you follow me on social media, you know I say everything like it is. Mm-hmm. And I don't hold back. I, my story is very vulnerable. There's a lot of things that are not flattering about my story that I talk about. There's a lot of things in my previous life prior to cancer that I'm not proud of. Um, I was a very materialistic, very addicted to society and society's accolades and very caught up in what my external beauty was and doing it all wrong. And so I came at a but that was also a very fear-based life. So I know the difference, right? I know Mm -hmm. the difference between a hope-based life and a fear-based life. And so I think that for me, when I'm on social media, I I don't like the highlight reels. I don't like the fake personas that people put out there. I don't like the judgment and the comparison. There's plenty to go around. And so, and I talk about that stuff. And so I, I try to be really vulnerable and real. And I think that is why they said, okay, she's the cancer disruptor. She's talking about the red devil. She's talking about, you know, going, you know, on being on her deathbed and, you know, eating the only food that I could really eat was in the bathtub. And I talk about that and how my friends had to feed me. And so, I don't know. I think it's just, I think it's a label because of my vulnerability and honesty. Yeah. Being able to share so publicly like you said, things that you are not proud of, but yeah. really things that are truly inside you, I think is really makes you so loved by many and people want to follow you because they're like, wow, she actually, she keeps it real. And like you said, it's social media is, it can be very full of lies, toxic. really toxic. <laughs> and toxic. toxic. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I find myself posting less and less because I'm like, yeah. I just, I don't need to like share right. everything. Um, I did, I did share my new Taylor Hawkins t-shirts that my best friend got me after the Foo Fighters concert, but uh, okay. you know, certain things that are important. I do obviously all my work you. stuff I share, but now, so you are really conveying a new definition of beauty in what you're doing but for women who've gone through something like this and they're really struggling with their personal self-esteem how do you think they can booster themselves up and get to a good place where you're at 
Well, it's ironic because when I had my biggest modeling jobs at my youngest age, you know, between 18 and 22, my self-esteem was at its lowest because, you know, the modeling industry can really tear you apart. And don't get me wrong. I love the modeling industry. I'm still in it. It's like, it feels like home to me. But when you're sent out every week on 10 castings and you get one, which is typical, you're, you're rejected nine times. Well, that can take a hit on your self-esteem. And so for me, it wasn't until my cancer diagnosis and really my external beauty was completely taken away. And now it's scarred up in my arm and my chest and my, my had no hair. And, and I just thought, wow, I've, I've done this so wrong. I've, you know, tried to buy these bags that I could no longer carry because of my arm. And I've tried to fill my life up with materialism. And, and again, I mean, like, Bravo TV and all these things that meant nothing. You can't take it with you. There's no U-Haul behind her. So why was I so obsessed with it? And I think that that sort of uh, rude awakening or you know, massive pain and suffering at the same time, it developed a different muscle in me. I knew that if I was going to survive, I had to figure out how to self-talk. I need to figure out how to get rid of voices that were not cheering me on. For example, the doctor who hurt my arm. I had to eliminate certain people in my life that were not for me. And I had to surround myself with different things that I was watching on TV, different things that I was listening to, different music. And so when I completely shut down the people that were not for me, and when I changed the self-talk, which, by the way, takes a lot of time, I still do it. I still practice it. We have to work on our self-esteem every day. It's that crucial. It's like going to school to learn to help your brain. It's like going to get a haircut. It's like going maintenance, right? And it's every day is maintenance for me. I talk, I, my self-talk has changed and I, I, I'm kinder to myself, right? We're so kind to other people. We have to, it has to start from inside of our own home, our own, you know, structure and if we can do that, then we shift, we become a little bit more peaceful and we make different decisions, right? If you make decisions based on a low self-esteem, your decision-making process is not going to, it's going to be thwarted and it's not going to benefit you moving forward. And so I try to talk to people and say, okay, start with I am. What is, what did you put after it? And if you say I am ugly, I am unattractive, I am not worthy. Okay. You might, it might take you a while. But replace those things with different words, which you may not believe at first, right? But ultimately, that will sink in. And that's how you rebuild your self-esteem. I love that. The power of words are so strong. I have a tattoo on my arm that says strong that I got after cancer. And it has pink boxing gloves and a pink ribbon. Because for me, that it, it, I look and it faces me. It doesn't face other people. Like So I look down at it every day and I'm like, yes, I am strong. I've got this. So... Fabulous. So listeners, we do need to take another break. Stay with us. If you would like to be my guest to share your warrior story or to nominate yourself to be here with me, please email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. We'll be back in a minute. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone. 
and to keep the show going, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck. My guest is Christine Handy, and we are talking about how she has found purpose through pain in her modeling and in her life. So, Christine, I kind of want to jump to something about that affects us so personally is how did all of this with the, the arm trauma and then the back-to-back with the breast cancer and all you've gone through, how did that affect your relationships and life? Because, you know, you've, you've got children and you, at the time you were married, I believe, and there's a lot that goes into it, especially with friends and family. How did that all work out for you or how did you handle it? Well, in the beginning, I, my pride was in the way Mm -hmm. and that is, that stems from a lack of self-esteem. So for instance, I needed help. I needed a great deal of help to get through it. Like I said, I had a cast on my right arm from my fingertips to my shoulder and the first weekend that I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I had a, I had a lumpectomy. So I li- quite literally couldn't use either of my arms. So like even a sip of water, somebody had to put a straw in my mouth and, and I had to sip it. I couldn't eat. Somebody had to put a, f- a spoon in my mouth to feed me. But I was so prideful because I was ashamed of being dependent on other people. And again, that comes from a lack of self-esteem. And so my pride got in the way at first. And it wasn't until I had to shred all the pride and say, okay, I need help. Because you know what? People wanted to help anyway. But so in the, in the beginning, it was, I kind of cut myself off from relationally and, you know, kind of didn't ask for the, not only did I not ask for the help that I needed, but kind of shut people away so that I could handle it or manage it in my own mind, which really worked against me. But once I kind of opened up myself and said, okay, no, we can talk about this in the community. We can ask for other people to help because it really did take an enormous amount of people to help me because, again, I had this arm thing at the same time. I didn't even start chemo for 30 days after my diagnosis because 
if I had started chemo, it would have dissolved the bone grafts in my arm. So we had to postpone chemo for 30 days because of the arm. So that was a major problem in my life. And so I think that for the relationships to succeed in something like trauma, you have to lose your pride because you are going to need help. Mm-hmm. And I, and again, I, once I tripped myself up, I was able to open myself up to it. I, that changed. But ultimately, you do find out who is going to show up for you. Yes. Regardless if you ask help or not, it is going to happen. You're going to see people in their place in your life. And some people don't. And it might be uh, upsetting at first, but we really do have to give people the grace to be who they are. And if they need to leave, they need to leave. They're on a different path than we are. And so ultimately, my husband and I got divorced, and that was very traumatic for me. But it was the right thing. And I, you know, I needed to be with somebody that had my back. I needed to be with somebody that cheered me on and was for me. And so whenever I look at relationships now, I always look for people who are for me in, in season after season. And when my friends, you know, showed up in the breast cancer season, I had just had an illness season with my arm. So I really looked at them like, you guys are my heroes because this is two seasons of pain and trauma and I'm not giving back to you. It wasn't. But they taught me it wasn't transactional, right? Mm-hmm. So much of life can be transactional. If you do this for me, I'll do this for you. But they were doing, doing, doing for me, and I had nothing to give them. And so, so many times they, my friends, relationally taught me that not only should I not give up because they were never giving up, right? If they show up every day, why would I not show up for myself? But they also taught me that even if it was another season of pain, they'd still stick by my side. And so that started to build my self-esteem, right? That's that's one thing that if we can rely on other people to show up for us, we can we can say to ourselves, oh gosh, okay, now why am I not showing up for myself? What am I telling myself that says you're not worth this attention? But again, I think it has a lot to do with who you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. And so I, again, I've taken that 10 steps forward and now my very closest people in my life, I know that they're for me, regardless of what I can do for them. They are for me. And that's how I look for relationships. And don't get me wrong. I'm a good friend and I'm super loyal, partly because I've had so many people show up for me. I show up. Mm-hmm. And but that was taught to me. And so if we can talk about those sorts of things and we can show that to other people, then wouldn't that be a great model for the world to show up for each other? And mm-hmm. how can we teach people that? Right. So I, I think relationally, I, I think in general, my relationships got incredibly strong. Of course, you know, my marriage did suffer from it. But, you know, that happens, unfortunately, especially in the cancer space. Definitely. Well, I think finding your people and you had them before, but knowing that how worthy they feel you are of being there through those seasons is is huge. And yeah. that fills your heart. So, and you know, anybody who doesn't want to be with you, they're lost. We're just going to, we're just going to move on <laughs> from that one. <laughs> um, it, how- it is a privilege to walk through life with people, by the way. Yes. I truly believe that. Today is my best friend's birthday that we've been best friends since we were 12. So oh. I just, yeah, that, it literally like, it's a privilege. Te- it is. And it tears me up to think about it because of all the life we've experienced together. Yeah. And like, 
we show up for each other and just like you, you, your friends showed up for you and you are there for them as well. So it definitely, it's not transactional, but it's just this yeah. part of this big, the circle of life. That's just, that's just mm-hmm. how it works to make life precious. You have those relationships. Right. Now, as someone who's been through cancer, something that's always on our minds or my mind, at least, how do you deal with possibly the fear of recurrence? I don't. <laughs> Compartmentalize it and put it away. Okay. Um, you know, I because I've had, I, I actually, I, I had a third of my colon removed when I was 35 as well. And that was kind of my first trauma because I almost died on the operating table because the doctor nicked a vein in one of my, in my pelvis bone and couldn't find where it was coming from. And so I had a blood transfusion during the surgery and then mm. I almost lost so much blood that I died and then multiple blood transfusions outside of the surgery and that took about a year to get over. So I've had multiple tragedies and multiple traumas. And so I think that that pushed me to a place where I had to find a way to detach. So for instance, I'm a public speaker. And when I got on this, when I get on the stage, somebody said to me one time, you know, your audience might trust you a little bit more if you shed a tear. And I was like, that's not going to be me because I've detached from my story. And so I can talk about it very freely and easily, but in a way that I don't get emotionally involved And the thing about fear to me is it has no place in my life. And the way that I can dismiss fear is I have abundance of faith. I have abundance of faith in God. And if it is my destiny to leave this world tomorrow, I know that tonight when I go to bed, I've done everything that I could to help this world, to help people, to help women, to champion for each other. And I know that I've done my job. And so I don't go to bed worried. I don't fear what's next. I eliminate worried about the outcome, whether it's in relationally, whether it's in health wise, whether it's with friends or boyfriend or my children, it's, it's every single day I take opportunities and I use those. And again, it's, it's not about the outcome for me. I love that. Now, one thing which you have jumped into since going through all of this, and I found this because I follow you on social media, is you actually go speak to uh, people in prison. And go, And I, I want to know more about that because it's something that you are giving back, which I, I don't know that you did before. Is that correct? No, I did not do before. And, you know, I when I was going through months and months of chemotherapy, I would lay awake at night and there are certain things that would break my heart. And one was judgment. One was comparison. And I was kind of put in a position, whether by accident or whether by heart, where I started to worry about things that I usually had no interest in worrying about. You know, you take away the materialism and the time you spend trying to please the world and you've got all this other time, this open space in your heart and your head. And so I started to think about children with cancer. I started to think about inmates who are getting out and being judged and unable to lead successful lives. And so when I was done with my chemotherapy, those are the things, the things that kept me up at night. Those are the things I was driven towards. And so as a speaker, as a public speaker, I asked my manager and my speaking agencies, try to get me into some, the prison system. And ultimately I was able to in Florida. And so when I spoke at this one particular uh, penitentiary in uh, a couple hours north of me, I can't remember this town, there was a gentleman there who his name was William Freeman. He's since been out of jail and he took a liking to what I was saying. And so he asked the 
the staff if they could have me back. So I ended up speaking at that prison three or four times. And when he was out of jail, he reached out to me on Facebook and said, hey, you really changed my life. I'd like to have a meeting with you. And I was like, okay, I'll meet with you. So we met at a pizza place in Palm Beach County. And he showed up in a red suit with a black briefcase. And he had an idea. He said, I want to be the man that changes the rate of recidivism in Palm Beach County. At the time, the rate of recidivism, which is going back to prison after you get out, is 97%. That's a staggering number. And so I said to him, well, I've never, I've never formed an organization, a nonprofit, but I'm willing to help. Ultimately, he got six other public figures and, and professionals out of Palm Beach, and we collectively started this nonprofit called People of Purpose. And so we have been doing this nonprofit for now four years. I'm the president of the nonprofit, but I can tell you he's the one that does most of the work. And what we're trying to do is equip men when they get out with not just resources, not just new clothes. They don't like, you know, clothes that have been passed down, but also equip them with tools to how to figure out the jobs. We take them to job resources and we try to equip them with different skills and it's working. And so that I think for me, you know, really has changed my heart over the years and helped me become a better person in my community. And it was just an idea that I had during, you know, chemotherapy where I was like, what, what breaks your heart? And so now to be able to do it and give back is, is, is extremely rewarding. I was listening to a podcast this morning as I was walking my dogs and I wrote down this quote, I had to stop. It's when you give assistance, you make yourself richer. Mm. And it literally was just like, oh my gosh, like it just that moment just was like, bam. And that's what you're doing. You're not looking for material things. You're filling your soul with yes. with riches because you are helping people who need it. And I mean, who would have ever thought that I'm sure 15 years ago, you're like, I'm not going to go speak in prisons. Why would I do that? I'm busy watching Real Housewives. <laughs> literally, literally. <laughs> yeah. With my cute bags and my cute clothes and my cute breasts and my cute hair. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm not nope. saying everybody, everybody has their own path and I'm not judging people for that, but it wasn't working for me. Yes, I, I can see that. It's obviously working for you now, all that you're doing. I do want to jump back into a kind of a question and I don't know if it's going to be emotional or not. Last Friday, um, we're recording this early. October 7th was National Flat Day, which I had never heard of before. There's like new days for everything, apparently. I know. How do you feel about that? Um, I Does put it, it in the cat- bring up any big emotions for you? No, I put it. No, again, I'm this very detached person. I, <laughs> well, you should talk to my boyfriend about that. He's like, you're so detached. Um, I, I think it's beautiful. I think it's wonderful that there's this community driven access and, and, and showing knowledge about what it is, because I think that the plastic surgeon are hesitant to talk about aesthetic flat closure because they get paid, right, for implants. It's a bigger surgery. It's more than one surgery, et cetera. And so there's this push by the flat community to make it people more aware as an option, which I'm all behind, right? I'm for that. I do anything I can to help other people because I think it's a personal choice. And we should have the choice. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is power. Um, I I didn't post that day. I, I Not because of any sort of personal reason. Sure. I just didn't have time. But I, I probably will. I'll probably post something and say, oh, sorry, I'm a couple of weeks late. But <laughs> um, 
I think, but on the other side of that, I think Hallmark wants to, you know, it's, it's another opportunity to make money. It's another opportunity for, you know, there's a day of everything, right? There's a day for hot dogs and national hot dog day. There's not a national pizza day, national. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. advertising. <laughs> it, it, people make money by it. I don't know. There, there's a whole Who lot to, to judge. There's a whole lot to unpack there. That's a whole nother there's episode. There's a whole lot to unpack there, but no, I, I, I didn't really pretend. I mean, I, commented on people's pictures and I'm glad that it happens. I'm glad that people are showing awareness again, because the only way we get out this out there is knowledge and knowledge is power. Perfect. So what is up next for you career wise in either on the runway or in the rest of your philanthropic or uh, entrepreneurial? I I can't even come up with the right words because I have cancer brain. You know what I'm talking about. What's going on now? (laughs) Well, the, the film is being restarted. It was a pause during COVID. And so that's a fun project that we're working on. Um, I just collaborated with a big brand, which the announcement is coming out October 15th. This, this podcast will be out after that. So you have to go back onto social media to see my posts from October. So I'm collaborating with bigger brands just for better awareness. And I'm also doing some more speaking like, uh, you know, out, out there live versus on zoom, which is nice mm-hmm. because the world is opening up and I do whatever I, you know, I do my social media influencing every day and I put a lot of stuff on my stories and I try to give people hope. I still speak in prisons. I'm on the board of now three nonprofits, not two, nice. which, you know, I am trying to manage a personal relationship. So yes, I'm doing, I'm doing, but my school is over. I finished Harvard. So it, it does open up a, a bit of space for me to have a personal relationship. So that's good. Where can listeners find you online or on social media? So Christine Handy one is on Instagram because Christine Handy was already taken. And, uh, but Christine Handy, Google Christine Handy. Okay. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of great articles about what I'm doing, which I think are fun to, to read. And, of course, my website has a bunch of it on it and some many of the interviews. So I'm okay. out there. And your website me. is christinehandy.com. Christinehandy.com. Yeah. Perfect. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, but thank you so much for sharing all that you're doing and in the world. And I cannot wait to see the big announcement coming out. So listeners, yeah. make sure you go back and look at that. So listeners, if you are a loved one, need our services, please go to breastfriends.org and check out patient programs. You can donate there or Uh, by sending a text to BF Radio to 41444. My words are getting around me right now because I'm in a rush. So uh, if you'd like to nominate yourself again, email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, we rise by lifting each other. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.